He came to America with nothing but a dream. You can't be chaplain. <laughs> you might be chaplain after all. He told him to get changed, remember? What's he putting on, a suit of armor? Onto the stage, right now! Chaplain! What do I do? Caught it. No, wait, wait, hold it. Now keep it going. Big reaction! Who is this? Overnight, he had Hollywood in his hands. Damn you, Chaplin, what are you trying to do to me? <laughs> and the world at his feet. The whole world knows about you, Charlie. Let me direct the next one. But behind the screen... Charlie! ...were the women who wanted him. Is this what you want? Did you lose your other wives this way? The scandal that surrounded him. Don't believe everything you read in the papers. Why not? Still waiting for that other shot, Sid. That inspired him. Your message reaches everyone, everywhere. And there's no control over them. Be careful. Camera! From Academy Award-winning director Richard Attenborough, Robert Downey Jr. He is talking about America! You are a truly strange fellow, Charles. <laughs> everyone has a wild side. Even a legend. What do we do, Charlie? Smile. everyone welcome to the dan Aykroyd podcast my name is scott white and of course i am joined a special a special episode i am joined once again by steph de wagoner hi everybody uh we uh, did tommy boy together yes and now we're about to do the movie chaplin the 1992 bio, uh, uh, biopic pick of uh charlie chaplin starring robert downey jr dan Aykroyd, and a host of other stars definitely a host of other stars when was the first time you saw this movie? I saw it in the movie theater. I did too. I remember seeing it. And, in the... and I actually don't think I've seen it since then. I think that was the last time I'd seen it. I believe that's the last I saw it as well. I picked up a, um, a VHS copy. I found it for 74 cents. So this was 1992. And this was right around the time of, I believe, Driving Miss Daisy. It was after Driving Miss Daisy. This is that run, though, that five-year period where Dan Aykroyd is doing more dramatic roles. Right. Sneakers and uh, and My he, Girl. And, and he's not doing leading men role. I right. mean, even though he was top-billed in My Girl, that was really a Macaulay Culkin movie. Yeah, he's doing character roles. He's doing character roles. He's segueing out of leading men roles into into these roles. Yes. We I usually when I usually do these I go through the movie but I think we'll just free form talk about the movie what we thought about the movie and sure. all that I thought you know the first appearance of Dan Aykroyd in this movie I I really enjoyed it him and uh, him and Robert Downey Jr. Yeah I think his role so so Dan Aykroyd plays the great silent film director Max Sennett yes Max Sennett was really the pioneer of the silent movie he invented the Keystone Cops. Right. right. And they even have a little bit of that in the movie in that when in an early scene, young Charlie Chaplin's trying to escape being sent to the workhouse and they even have a little kind of Keystone Cops moment when he's trying to escape. Right. And I, I'm glad you brought... I wanted to address that. Well, address two things. One, 
I don't think in in these biopics we always have to show him as a child. I don't. We we all know that they were children. We. I think we could have. There's a scene where Charlie Chaplin's older brother is taking him to see this uh, vaudevillian, and he says, "If you get this job and what I'm making, we can move Mum into a better place." I think the movie could have started there. That one line of exposition we could have. Well, because the movie starts with Charlie Chaplin's mother is played by Charlie Chaplin's daughter. Yes, is mentally ill. And we were shown that. We had that, that one scene where she's being taken away and she's yelling back to, to Charlie. Um, but I feel we could have... Because the movie is two hour, two and a half hours long. It's a long movie. It's a long movie. And I believe we could have cut all that and we could have just had the you know that one line of exposition and started. But even with the length of the movie, it never digs super, super deep into no. anything. And they use a narrative device in the movie where... They've got Anthony Hopkins playing a, a fictional a character, fictional character, but based, I guess, loosely on the biographer. There, so the movie is based on two books, right? Charlie Chaplin's autobiography, and then another biography, and they sort of merge those two source materials together. And so Anthony Hopkins plays this fictional character that is writing, helping him the write his fictional editor, fictional ghostwriter. Yeah. Yes. So they actually do. I think the movie probably would have been three and a half hours if it wouldn't have been for his character because his character fills in a couple of little gaps of, you know, you don't talk about your father. Well, I didn't like him. Boom. Boom. We move on. You yes. don't talk about your third wife. She was a bitch. Right. Or what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's kind of interesting. The uh, but but early in his career, obviously, that's when he meets Max Max Sennett, played by Dan Aykroyd, which I think was actually just really perfect. The perfect tone, the right the right actor. tone. Yes. Uh, none of the uh, co-stars in this movie are in the movie for any great length of time. Right. I mean, this is Robert Downey Jr.'s movie from start to finish, and all these other ones. Uh, Dan Aykroyd. Compared to the other actors in there, has a substantial part uh, in this movie. But he is gone by... I mean, we see him hire Charlie Chaplin. We see him cultivate Charlie Chaplin. And then there's that great scene, a topless scene by Dan Aykroyd. I was going to say, ladies, if you like a little dad bod, this is your chance to see a shirtless Dan Aykroyd. Uh, And Dan Aykroyd gives him the... uh, Because Charlie Chaplin is now... uh, Feeling his oats? Is that the correct feeling? Not sowing his oats. Right. He does that later. <laughs> but he's... Because he's brought his brother in. Yes. And now his brother is his manager. Right. And now they're putting the screws to... You know, uh, first it was I wanted to make... I want to direct. And I, I want to... You know, I want complete control. And, and and Dan Aykroyd gives this great speech about... <laughs> what have I done to deserve this? <laughs> Charlie. Charlie. I've been so rotten to you. I don't know if you can forgive me. I forced you to leave Butte, Montana. I made you accept 150 per. You mentioned directing, and I stuffed that down your throat, too. Now tell me how else Uncle Mac can make it up to you. I want to run my own show, man. I want control. Dream on, kid. I know this business, and you're not that big. I actually, my favorite line that Dan Aykroyd says as Mac Sennett is early on when he first meet, first meets him, and he's kind of giving him the lay of the land of 
the production studio because he had his own mm. production studio and he said and he's trying to let him know that this is no shoddy thing he does high quality work he goes i make no more than two pictures a week I mean, yes and i'll spend a thousand dollars on each one if i have to and early david duchovny yes, uh, as yes. the editor cameraman yes yeah so it really captures the time and you really see that. I thought the sets were really, yeah. the automobiles, the wardrobe, they all did a great job in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Marissa Tomei is in it as uh, uh, Max, uh, I guess, I don't know if it's his wife, his girlfriend, yeah. uh, Mabel. So whenever, if you ever heard the term Mac and Mabel, that's what they're referring to. And she was a female director but mostly because mac right let her but i saw that as a female director back in 1918 1917 <laughs> right, right unheard of so this is marissa tome 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 marissa tome and robert downey jr tangent alert tangent alert tangent alert they they star in well they don't star but they have that scene in that movie mm-hmm. and then they star in this movie called Only You oh that's right the two of them were in that movie together too well this is right around my cousin Vinny time for her yes and I believe out of all the people she is the only one to have won an Oscar out of all Dan Aykroyd was nominated yes but I oh Anthony did Anthony Hopkins has Anthony Hopkins won a yes for. Silence of the Lambs. Lambs. So Anthony Hopkins and Marissa Tomei. But I don't believe any of the other... No, Kevin Klein won for A Fish Called Wanda. That's right. Man. And and Kevin Klein's in the movie. Yes, as Douglas Fairbanks. We'll get to that. Uh, I really liked his performance. So, you know, I guess you wouldn't call this a Dan Aykroyd movie. No. It is a movie with Dan Aykroyd. Yes. And then also, and um, uh, Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man, and Marissa Tomei is Aunt May. Oh, that's right. In in the in the Marvel universe now, that's so right. it's, it's, it's to me it was really remarkable to think, wow, they trusted young Robert Downey Jr. with this role, which this he was got before the chops. he had the chops, but this is before the drugs, right? Well, I, I, or was I, he? I, I, I'm probably intermingled, but yeah. definitely pre uh, rehab and yes. and soberness and um, I mean he could have easily done this movie probably ten years ago and it would have been. Great, also. Yes. Um, but he really carries this movie all the way through from young Charlie Chaplin in his 20s all the way up to Charlie Chaplin in his mid-80s. Yes. The makeup is kind of... I mean, the makeup is kind of iffy, but it was 1992. It looked... I don't know, though. I watched the YouTube video of Charlie Chaplin getting the honorary Oscar in 1972. And it, he looks good. I mean, yeah. it looks pretty accurate, you know? The cl- yeah, the close-up, so you could tell it was makeup. So mm-hmm. maybe they should have not con- you know, more wide shots. It really is amazing, though. Robert Downey Jr. really does capture, especially in the Charlie Chaplin performance segment. <coughs> Excuse me. Really captures, the, it does a great job with the slapstick, the mm-hmm. performance as Charlie Chaplin. You know, it's funny, Dan Aykroyd as Max Sennett meets him for the first time. Because he had hired him, sight right. unseen, and uh, says, that's not who I hired. I hired a guy, who, a character actor who plays an old drunk. Yeah. You know, so he can't believe this young 20-something guy is mm. this 
infamous, you know, known for being this great comedy performer in vaudeville. Right. There's someone in the shop. Keep cranking. Still cranking. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to go back to this. Um, you brought up how they did the Keystone Cops with him. They also do. There's a Malia Jovovich. Malia Jovovich. I'm doing it too. Mila Jovanovich. Is that. I'm not saying it right either. Jovovich. Jokovich. Something, yes. Anyway, the Resident Evil woman. Yes. She plays his first child bride. Yes. Now, because in in real life, he married her at 16. And in the movie, she's 17. But she, I, I did not think she was 17. Right. I looked up her age. She was actually 17 in real life when she really? made this movie. Um, but Mila she... Mila Jovovich. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but apparently in real life, she tricked Charlie Chaplin into marrying her by saying she was pregnant. Yes. And she wasn't pregnant. Right. And once they divorce, at the time he was working on the movie, The Kid. Yes. And she wanted to, her lawyers wanted to get their hands on that film, so they pack up and they drive to Utah to finish editing the film. Oh, yeah, that's great. I forgot. They were holed up in this hotel. Yes. Trying to get the film finished. Basically hiding out, editing this film. Yes. And they treated that part and then the and then the orphan part. They did it as a comedy bit. And I, I, I didn't really care for that. It was like this... I, I, that was supposed to be a serious moment where he's caught in the orphanage. It's a serious moment where they're, they're messing with his art and they put a slapstick twist on it. I, I, I could have done without that. I was that. reading an old New York Times review of this movie in prep for this podcast mm. and the reviewer says he found it a little unnecessary to kind of lay... You know, Richard Attenborough decides this will be a fun thing to put in as he'll treat some of the scenes like mm-hmm. an ode to those silent movies and um, so yeah I mean I liked it. I, I didn't uh, I didn't think it was... I, I actually thought it was kind of fun that he put those scenes in there um, because you don't really get to see anything like that anymore so you know them having to do the old swap of you know the fake out and, mm-hmm. and here's here comes Charlie Chaplin in a dress and his sister-in-law's you know filling in for him and um, and then they drive off in the car and it's all sped up you know time double time well you know you were talking about him trying to preserve this movie and not let his ex-wife get her hands on it and I actually read that unlike a lot of older stars and Charlie Chaplin died with all of his money all of the rights to all of his movies him and Harold Lloyd they both, he didn't die penniless. Right. Uh, Buster Keaton, he wasn't penniless, but he he lost it all because he gave away the rights to all his films. And that was another thing in this movie. I wouldn't say I'm a silent movie buff, but I do, do enjoy Charlie Chaplin and uh, 
Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, and Fatty Arbuckle. Uh, the, the film makes it look like Charlie Chapman came, Max Sennett saw him, offered him a job, and he immediately started starring in movies. Fatty Arbuckle, who was a bigger star than Charlie Chaplin at the time. Fatty Arbuckle, Fatty Arbuckle was the first big comedy, silent comedy movie star. And he put Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton, he gave them their start. So the movie sort of glosses over the fact that uh, he, he didn't, it makes it look like he came in and immediately started starring in movies, which did not happen. He had minor roles in Fatty Arbuckle films, which helped him and Buster Keaton gain momentum in the in the film industry. Fatty Arbuckle, who Chris Farley actually, I think at one point, had wanted to or was planning on trying to do some sort of a movie about. I remember backstage at Second City in Chicago, there's a poem called When Fatty Falls Down. Yes. And it's a, uh, basically about Chris Farley, you know. So there, there's our Dan Aykroyd connection again mm -hmm. for Tommy Boy. Um, the other thing I think is fun is they poke a little fun to how he came up with how Charlie Chaplin came up with the Tramp character. Yes. And you know, they first approach it with um, this, this sort of almost mystical, you know, speaking to him, the character calling to him. And then Anthony Hopkins calls it out. It's like, wait, that's BS. No, that, he, that's he, not... he, he go, bullshit. Right, yeah. right. You know, and Charlie Chaplin's having a little fun with him. But, uh, you know, he really didn't find his footing with those movies until he developed that until character. Developed the tramp. Yeah. So the, um, I do think it's interesting, you, you know, you can go on and read about Max Sennett and read, read about Mabel and uh, read about their influence. And then he just, Charlie Chaplin takes what's uh, developed there and really studies it. He's got a great mind, a great eye for mm -hmm. the art, for the comedy. And um, you, I think it's great when you watch the 1972 Academy Award, the lead in to him, he talks about the that anybody watching a movie nowadays you owe to somebody mm -hmm. like Charlie Chaplin. Yes, it was. They had he was inter, the the president of the academy was introduced by Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. Right. I thought it was cool. I'm guessing that they had to sign off on that. I I guess, and you know what? I thought about that too because they make a real quick reference to Walter Matthau in mm. the movie. She says something about, "Oh, Walter's going to give you this," or what? As if like Walter Matthau and Charlie Chaplin are friends. Which I was like, I wanted to dig a little deeper yeah. into that because his wife says it like, "Oh, you know, Walter." I was like, she must be Walter Matthau. So, um, but I thought it was really cool that they allowed their images to be used in this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because there's there is a mix of like actual. Footage. Yes, and this is what something else that bothered me. <laughs> Sometimes they would show Robert, they would show film, and it was Robert Downey Jr. being Chaplin. And then sometimes they'd show actual Chaplin movies. I think it should have been all Robert. Downey. Maybe at the end when they showed the montage of Charlie Chaplin, maybe. But I think during the during the entire filming of the movie, whenever they were looking at somebody on the screen, it should have been Robert Downey Jr. as It was Charlie hard to Chaplin. tell the difference sometimes. Well, I, I've seen the movie, so I knew what the difference was. The, um, uh, oh, you know what else is cool in that YouTube clip? It's like a seven-minute clip, and the first three minutes is the introduction of Charlie Chaplin, so you can kind of fast-forward through some of that. Yeah. But the clip on YouTube is Jackie Coogan's in the audience. So when yes. they're doing this 12-minute... He got the longest standing ovation in like Academy Award history. 
And so they're giving them this 12-minute standing ovation. And it's really cool. You see Kirk Douglas and, you know, all these 70s, you know, actors. And uh, and then they do a close-up of Jackie Coogan, which I thought was really great because, speaking of the kid, he's he was the, the kid. kid. And, and but Charlie Chaplin. Famously did. known as Uncle Fester. Right. From the Adams Family. Right. Which I guess we can't make a connection to Dan Aykroyd and can we? Um, but uh, but Jackie Coogan, I remember you know in the movie Charlie Chaplin says, "Oh, I, I really love that kid," mm-hmm. you know, and it is. Oh my gosh, it's it, it's sad. It's terrible. The yes. kid is heart wrenching. Yeah. You know, um, I mean it's a comedy, but it's oh, it's terrible. Also, a side note here. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. The reason that they started some sort of uh, child actors because of Jackie Coogan, I believe all of his parents. Oh, right. Parents took his money and all that, so they were so they set this up where these kids, their their parents wouldn't spend all their money and they wouldn't be they'd be left with nothing when they grew up. So speaking of actors. Like protecting actors, so in the movie, it's also they don't really dig, so they don't dig deep into anything. In no, this movie. it's it, real surface. It's real. Kind it's of stuff. at war with the government. Yeah, Hoover, Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover had it in for him. Yes, and he's uh, to today's standards, he would probably not be receiving. Like he would, he would have gotten slammed all over social media. To yes, today's standards because he liked young girls. He's it's all at the beginning of the movie. We show where he he meets this girl. He goes out on one date with her. He falls immediately in love with her, but then has to go to America. And she's sixteen years old. She's sixteen. She's a dance hall girl. Dance hall girl. And that puts it so n- now all women in his life must look like her. Right. At he's that, and not on he's it. fixated on not only her looks but her, her age. So he's fixated on what a woman looks like because in the movie he marries a 16-year-old in Mexico, which I guess was legal at the time. Or I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they like, never make any. They never say anything about it, like to the contrary, or that it's scandalous or anything. Her name is Mildred Harris. An actress. Oh yeah, a child actress. never looked on as like this terrible thing and now to his credit his last wife who was also very young 18 when, he, when yes, they married he stays with her stays the rest with of her his for life, the rest like, of his life. like 40 years or something like that or now, 30 years or something he was married four times according to the movie two out of the four were no good his third wife who was paulette goddard who was pa- another famous actress at the time yes who was older than the other ones they had, I was think they sort of have the relationship that we have, is that they were married, but they they broke up, but they stayed really really close afterwards, and they, they have know. more of a peer like mutual respect kind of relationship. Exactly. Um, After they're divorced, you see them together again as friends. She wasn't taking him for all his money. It was, she she had twins with him, right? Those are his. Are those those were from the previous oh, marriage. Okay, she, okay. Uh, oh, that's right, that's right, that's true. She uh, he had. Wait, we were never married. No, I'm no. Well, we but we were we were dating. We dated for a while. 
but we're still but we're close. Uh, but he had uh, he had two with his second wife, and then you think he had eight with Una with his, his fourth wife. wife. So he had, and so Geraldine Chapman, who plays his mother in the movie, is his oldest child from his marriage to his last wife Una. Yes, uh, which is kind of interesting, mm-hmm. you know. So I wonder then. I guess if he had all that fortune and how that i guess the kids they all own the rights mm-hmm. to that stuff now and then he ended up having to pay for a child that wasn't even his they proved yes. it through DNA. they proved it well not dna a blood test they blood didn't test. have dna but they proved it oh james woods james wood so here's another connection tangent alert tangent alert tangent alert James Woods and Robert Downey Jr. starred in the movie True Believers together. That's right. James Wood plays a lawyer in that movie, and Robert Downey Jr. plays his assistant. That's right. That's right. Because I remember seeing a, I think it was on Letterman, James Woods was on Letterman, and he was talking about Chaplin, how the role, because in that first movie, James Woods was the star, and now, you know, Robert Downey Jr., and James Woods seemed genuinely happy that this kid was, was doing well. Uh, was doing well in this in the business at the time. This was like, like I said, this was before the drug bust and well before the Avengers. Yeah, well, well before Tony Stark. Post Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Post his- Saturday Night Live. It's really weird to think of, but he was on Saturday Night Live with Anthony Michael Hall. Yes, and at one point, Anthony Michael Hall was a much, much bigger star than Robert Downey Jr. Yes. Because Robert Downey Jr. played second fiddle to him in Weird Science and Johnny Be Good. Yes. So Johnny Be Good, terrible movie. Yes. Well, Weird Science is a great movie. Yes. Uh, but No, but Johnny Be Good is a terrible movie with Uma Thurman as well. Yes. Uh, I think <sighs> it's really a testament to Dan Aykroyd's performance in this movie that it would have been easy to sort of play this a little bigger, a little overblown. A little bit. And, and he really very sincerely plays this character. Like, it's very just straightforward and, and good businessman, I guess, for the times. And um, he, he was one of the, not him, but Max Sennett was one of the men that suffered when they went to sound. Yes. They address this in this movie as well. We can talk about that in a minute. But, but no, I agree. Dan Aykroyd... He he's never over the top. He's never unbelievable. He, oh, and, and he's Canadian. Max Max Sennett was Canadian, which I thought that was kind of interesting. Dan Aykroyd, our resident yes. Canadian, uh, you know, actor. I thought that was kind of interesting too. That you know they sort of shared that background. And I looked at him. He looked. It was good casting. It wasn't like they went completely off the radar to cast somebody. He, he kind of you know didn't look like him, but uh, no, but but it was it's inappropriate. Uh, he was the only. Dan Aykroyd was the only one out of the supporting cast that was known for comedy. Um, right. Nobody else. He was, yeah, Saturday Night Live. and So he was known as a comedian or as a comedic actor. Mm-hmm. He was not known as a serious actor. I guess, and I guess that's a testament to him that uh, uh, Attenborough had that much confidence in him to pull it off. Well, it's fun to see. There's a lot of good details of the old studios and the equipment they used and how they filmed and how you know the directors would work. And my one of my favorite scenes is in the movie studio. There's this giant megaphone yes, on top of the yeah, building. So if you need that. to find he's so if you need to find somebody, you just yell out, you know, Chaplin or whoever you're yeah, looking there's for. No, there's no intercom. There's no so. intercom. There's no. <laughs> Obviously, no cell phones, so that's how it was when you needed to get somebody's attention. Giant, like eight a foot giant eight-foot <laughs> megaphone on top of a building. 
Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, Chaplin was really one of the last holdouts with, of switching over to, you know, of, of these silent movies because yes. he was still making silent films when... Well, he was afraid that the tra- if the tramp spoke, he would lose his magic. Right. Once he does move into silent films, the tramp's not in any of them. Right. I, that's probably the right decision. Probably. They said he was always working, always creating, always thinking. Up mm-hmm. until the end, he was developing ideas mm-hmm. and you know writing and uh, yeah. It's uh, we mentioned Herbert Hoover. Kevin Dunn plays mm-hmm. Herbert Hoover. It's kind of a meh subplot. I could have probably done without it with less of it. Well, um, the thing is that at one point in this movie, he makes a speech. Which would absolutely not be out of place today about uh, immigrants coming over and we need to stop them. Yeah. If I may continue, Mr. Hurst, we're too generous. We're too open. If we don't watch out, if we don't take steps now to impose some new discipline, some decency, then we're in trouble. Deep trouble. I know it's not fashionable to say this. We're celebrating... Everyone thinks it's over, but democracy carries a price tag. And conversely, so what he doesn't like is when he when Chaplin makes the Great Dictator, he's got a big speech at the end, and uh, yeah, he doesn't like it at all. He mm-hmm. thinks this is the this is the whole McCarthy hearings yes. and all of that. So that's basically why Chaplin lives kind of in peace and quiet and exile in what in Switzerland. Switzerland, yeah, because uh, Herbert Hoover gets his. Passport, his uh, yeah, he throws him out of revoked, he throws, throws him out of the country. Yeah, won't let him back into the country. <clears throat> but that probably in the end probably ended up being a good thing. He probably, probably had a much higher quality of life, yeah. you know, living over yeah. there. And his wife goes with him, and and you his know, children go with yep. him. Yep. Yeah. So we talked about Kevin Klein played Douglas Fairbanks. Yes. And so we were saying earlier about uh, you were talking <clears> about how Jackie Coogan sort of was the the poster child for we got to you know do a better job of protecting the child actors. So, so they don't go super deep on this. They mention it in the movie, but you, you really have to do a little more studying to find out about it. But Charlie Chaplin, Douglas Fairbanks, Mary Pickford, who was known as America's Sweetheart. She was the number one star. She was the Julia Roberts of... And uh, D.W. Griffith, and, the, the, the director. United Artists. Yes. And so that was um, how they sort of came together and used their strength as stars and celebrities to... I think protect their uh, rights a little bit better. Their assets, and it's not mentioned that uh, Douglas Fairbanks was one of the biggest stars at the time. Yep. Yeah, yeah, he, he was a big action star at the time. Globally, this is nineteen seventeen, nineteen eighteen. These they're global icons. How impressive that is! There's no internet. There's no uh, viral video. The fact that they were that big. Just through movies. The only the only way you find out about them is through like the paper. Through I don't I guess there must have been star magazines even back then. Maybe like, yes, gossip magazines. Yeah, our introduction to Douglas Fairbanks in this movie is actually really great. Mm-hmm. You don't even they don't even have to come out and say that it's Douglas Fairbanks if you're any kind of a movie buff. He's got the, the head kerchief on and yeah, he's got he's got he's got his like tie or something yeah. tied around his head. He he literally swings from the rafters, mm-hmm. you know. To see him does a really nice job of of sort of being Chaplin's BFF, I guess. You know, um, yeah, it's really it's really great to see that. I think Kevin Klein perfect casting yeah. in that. Um, 
and and it's interesting to see how he you know that character kind of follows through with him and gets older and you know he starts having failing health mary pickford lived a lot longer yes but mary pickford and douglas fairbanks were married i remember it was a big deal when their house sold i want to say share bought their house i can't remember it's it's online somewhere. but uh fairbanks died 56 i believe very very young i get you know if you're an actor I, i'm i'm just going to use the example of, of patrick stewart even though he was in star star trek was not known he was not known as an action star if if you're an actor who acts like he's now in that he now he's in Picard where he's he's an old man but if you're Douglas Fairbanks Jr or Charlie Chaplin or or Harold Lloyd or Ali uh, Buster Keaton but even a modern Jackie Chan who relies on your body as as your as Jason your Statham. Jason Statham, yes, yeah, you know, yeah, that's got to be tough when you can't do if you if you can act you can act your entire life, but if you're a stunt person to not be able to use your body, you know, as a conduit to right. get your work across, that's right. that's got to be tough because I fear that as a comedian, a, a lot of my stuff is physical. Chevy Chase, yes. you know. Yes. Have you seen Chevy Chase looks frail lately if you've seen him he's doing I've seen him like super lately but yeah he's cranky old <laughs> yeah. he's cranky old man but well my comedy is a lot of pratfalls a lot of action and I just know there's going to be one day where it's just like I'm not going to be able to do that so I thought you were going to say that it must be hard to be an aging actor and like all your actor friends around you die before you and so you don't have any like contemporaries That's true you. too that would be tough too the um, it's interesting because you see Chaplin's like almost obsessive work ethic, and I don't know where they don't really allude to like where that necessarily comes from, unless it was just maybe something he picked up from like what is it Carnes? That's the vaudeville guy that he works yeah. for, and maybe his expectations, or it just may be that his natural eye. I mean, that's one of the things they show in the beginning is that he just, even as a little kid, naturally had talent, mm-hmm. naturally wanted to be on stage. But, you know, the, the whole dismantling of his marriage to Paula Goddard was just his obsession with uh, working on his movie and, and putting in hours and hours and hours. On and one movie. I be- yeah. the, it may have been, the movie makes it look like he was just obsessed about this one movie, which I believe was uh, Modern Times. But he did everything. He directed. He wrote. He acted. He did the music. Yeah. I mean, he did. He did it all. He really the Renaissance man. So it's interesting because so this is in this as I said earlier, this is in that kind of five year time period where you see Dan Aykroyd doing more of these character roles, more you know serious kind of roles. And it's sort of interesting because I think when I was looking at IMDb, and I don't know if this is in order of production or in order of release, but the next movie after this is a Conehead movie. Yeah. So there's a there's a Conehead movie right after this, and so I was like, I yeah, ninety two. That's about right. I guess you have to balance, you know, because you have to find balance, and you have to pay the bills. You do have to I'm pay sure, the bills. I'm sure the Conehead. I mean, be paid more. Yeah, it's 
you can say I've I've been in a Richard, Atten- a Richard Attenborough film and right. I've been a conehead. Well, it's nice to be, you know, when you're at, if you're somebody like Danny Aykroyd, Bill Murray, you know, somebody like that, you really can kind of pick and choose your project. Well, Bill Murray did agree to come back for the next Ghostbusters, and that was up in the air. Yes, um, yes. I wonder if even in a sense, I know, I, I think, you don't see it in Tommy Boy, but I know that Dan Aykroyd really loves, like, gadgets and things and like ghostbusters is really i think probably closer to him than almost like who he really is yes well he's a big uh he believes in ufos he believes in bigfoot he believes in ghosts he believes in all that and he's very sincere about it so it is probably fun for him in this it was probably fun for him in this movie to be able to kind of immerse himself in some of the very authentic period mm-hmm. equipment and the, the... oh yeah i'm i'm sure it was i'm sure it was and yes, I was. I mean, I thought all the actors did a good job in all the roles. There wasn't one where it, where it stood out as being particularly bad. Uh, I, as you said, this was a very very well cast movie. Robert Downey Jr. What did you think of his accent? I thought it was good. That was another thing in the New York Times review I was reading that that. They didn't really call out the accent, but I think there was some allusion to his accent. But I thought it was great. I thought it was. I thought uh, we have our mutual friend Braun. Yes. From Manchester, and I asked her. I said she and she said his accent is pretty pretty good, uh, because he eventually went on to do Sherlock Holmes. Yes. With another English accent. Oh, I know what I was reading about accents. It wasn't this movie. It's in Doolittle, which is out right now. He's Welsh. Yes. And, and so they, there's some flack, but Welsh is weird. And if you're not used to hearing Welsh, it's going to sound like a bad English accent. From what I've heard, that movie is awful. Well, I'll let you know after I go see it today. Okay. <laughs> uh, they say he's almost impossible to understand in that movie. Because I... So, we we were talking about this earlier uh, off off podcast that uh, I loved the Anthony Newley when I was a kid. And Anthony Newley co-starred in Dr. Doolittle with Rex Harrison. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, I probably will go see it just because... <laughs> that of was Norm MacDonald with no. Eddie Murphy. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, though, because... You see a movie like this, and you think, "Gosh, at the time, like, oh, this is what a great opportunity for Robert Downey Jr." And then you don't realize he's got another. Was it ninety two? So if this is two thousand twenty. What is that? Twenty eight. So another twenty eight. Thirty years. years. Of, of, yeah. Yeah. Movies, and he's completely transitioned into being an action star now. Yes. And, you know, it's kind of crazy. Usually, people start. I mean, he did it in reverse. Yeah. Usually, people start off young as action stars, and then. Yep. Go into uh, character roles as older. He reversed it. He did character roles. He What was that? Uh, uh, too Low for Zero? Where Less than Zero. Less than Zero. Oh my gosh, that movie. Oh my gosh. I remember seeing that yeah. at the movie theater too. That messed me up. Because it did mess you up because it had him and uh, Andrew, Andrew McCarthy. and but Because we were used to seeing... Uh, 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 Breakfast Club, yeah. uh, Sixteen Candles, Pretty yep. in Pink. Yep. Now, because even though they had uh, maybe sort of a you know serious matter, overall it was a comedy. That was where he's where he's uh, forced to. to uh, that's sort of an allu- that sort of alludes to probably a little closer to home for him too. Because yeah. this, this guy that's a drug addict, he can't get a handle on it. Right. He, you know, living a little too fast and hard. They force him to orally pleasure that guy to, for drugs and. Yep. Yeah, it's just a... <laughs> if you're tuning in, we're not talking about the movie Chaplin right no, now. No, no, <laughs> no. 
Uh, you know, it's interesting. Charlie Chaplin really didn't have any, they don't allude to any drug problems, no. alcohol problems. His biggest thing was he was obsessed with um, work, this unrequited love for this yes. young girl that he never got to marry who, spoiler alert, uh, dies. He finds out she dies of from big, the flu, from a big influenza uh, yeah, outbreak. Yeah, from the flu. And so I think he just never gets over that and he's constantly looking for... Uh, uh, that girl, which Richard Attenborough, in a crafty little bit of casting, casts the same actress. Maura Kelly plays both roles. Mm-hmm. She plays the first girl and right. then plays Una. So I guess that's supposed to give us some symbolism that, you know, that this is the one... <laughs> Reincarnated. That or... he found the right... Yeah, who knows, right? Well, she's... But but Una is the, the granddaughter of the playwright Eugene O'Neill. So she had come from sort of a well-known theater family as well and was there to meet Charlie Chaplin to, you know, audition. What, was it, what do they call it? An ingenue? Or... Yes, yes, an ingenue. An ingenue. The young, the young actress, the young leading actress, yes. the ingenue. As opposed to, you know, you don't really see anything in these movies. You don't really see any characters in this movie of like a... Um, Oh, what's the foil in like the Marx Brothers movies? Like Margaret Dumont. Well, yeah, you don't really see a character, like that. or like in the Three Stooges, you always have a character like that. Yeah, always an uppity upper crust. The closest we get to that is the waiter that won't let him in at the beginning of the film. Before he's famous, he makes a reservation at this at this uh, fancy restaurant, and his name is clearly on the list. But the waiter says his name is not on the list. Yeah, the waiter's fishing for like a, a bribe, basically, like a tip mm-hmm. to accommodate his reservation. And then Robert Downey Jr. barely has enough money to yeah. take this girl to the restaurant. And I think that's a drive. That's supposed to show us this driving force in him of like, I'm never going to be poor again. Right. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work, work, work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, it's interesting, you know, and, and I, uh, this always comes up whenever you talk about Dan Aykroyd, but. You know, he's got people around him, like, for example, of course, you bring up Belushi, who, brilliant, but troubled, you know, Dan Aykroyd, a uh, talented, long career, and seemingly pretty normal guy, you know, long yeah, marriage. And... Yeah, yeah, long, I mean, he's, uh, when you say normal, but, I mean, like I said, so, you well, know. Normal in the sense of, like, you know, not being arrested, you don't see his Not videos, being arrested, not doing know. drugs, not cheating on his wife. Right, um, right. And because he was close friends with John Candy too, who was actually a, a family man too, and but his uh, his vice was food. Yes, he, yeah. I do have to laugh. Something about Dan Aykroyd in these uh, period suits, these pants, these high waisted men's pants. Like yeah. there's something about like because it, it's the same thing in Driving Miss Daisy. He's got these like high like back in the I don't know 40s and 30s and 40s. <laughs> And the guys with their like high waisted yeah. trousers, it makes Dan Aykroyd look like he has the biggest butt in the <laughs> whole like this giant butt. I think that's, I guess, to cover a male paunches or something. I don't know what it is about those pants. So those those are not the most flattering costume for him. I was trying to think of other movies around that time, uh, you know, My Girl, uh, uh, but I, I was trying to. My stepmother's an alien. That's another one where he's a dad, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but then he plays, and this movie, I know this movie gets a lot of crap, and I'm going to do this movie later, but uh, Nothing But Trouble. Oh, where, right, with the, the Haunted the, House. The Haunted House one, where he plays... With Demi Moore. Demi Moore, Chevy Chase, and John Candy. What, and he's like the vampire, or the... No, he's a 180-year-old... He's a That's what it is, yeah. 
kind of like Lopan and Big yes. Trouble in Little China. <laughs> that movie gets a lot of crap. I enjoy that movie. There's stuff that, you know, at the time it gets panned or whatever. And you watch it again and you're like, I'm sorry, that was funny. Yes. Like, <laughs> there's stuff. There's some mm. stuff that holds up. I, there was something like that that was on recently that I was like, I totally forgot about that. It was an old John Cusack movie. Mm-hmm. John Cusack and uh, uh, Debbie Moore. Um movie and I was thinking and like, John cool. Cusack John Cusack starred as Dan Aykroyd in uh, d- uh, Gross Point Black yes Detroit birth certificate if I wouldn't have yes. gotten that right mm. yes that's a good one that I haven't seen that is a good since one that I saw it in the movies too there's certain movies like so Chaplin hadn't seen it since I was at the movie <laughs> by the way I remember this to this day I saw that at the movie theater that was in Houston over off of, like, West Gray and Shepherd. Mm. There was this big multiplex. There was, like, a Cafe Express there. I can't remember what kind of... Like, it was the Cineplex Odeon, mm. I think is what it was. And I remember going to see that movie. And I remember turning around and looking over my shoulder, and it scared the crap out of me. I thought it was the ghost of Charlie Chaplin mm. standing in the back of the theater. Ended up, it was, like, an usher dressed as Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> but... You know, in a dark theater, and you kind of look over your shoulder, and there's Charlie Chaplin standing there. It's a little creepy. Did you know that his body got stolen? Yes. Charlie Chaplin's body got stolen after he was buried. Yeah, well, yeah, of course, after they recovered recovered it. it. Uh, But yeah, his body was stolen, so. Yes. Oh, so so here's what I was going to say there's certain movies I feel like you see them in the movie theater, and they just don't play. Like, it's not Overboard where you can watch it 200 times every time it's on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain movies that just don't play well again. Like, you, you're you not going to sit there and be like, I can watch this 10 more there's times. There's a, a couple of lists on the internet. Great movies that you could only watch one time. Usual Suspects, I think. Uh, and uh, what was it? The one... Uh, 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 Sixth Sense. Well, uh, the Curb Stomp. Uh, the Malcolm, not Malcolm X. Uh, generation. Uh, Edward Norton. He plays the Nazi. I know what you're talking about. American X. Yes. It's like, that's always, it's it's such an intense movie. You can only watch it one time. And, uh, I was looking at Dan Aykroyd's credits around this time on IMDb, which is of course a great resource. And I had to laugh. One of them was a a guest spot on the nanny as (laughs) it's just listed as repairman, you know, but I'm sure, I guess he must be friends with Fran Drescher. I feel like that makes sense that they're probably friends. Probably. I did a podcast with him, uh, according to Jim, oh, okay. uh, you know yep. John Belushi's brother Jim, because they did the Blues Brothers together. Yep. Yeah, he would be on there. He would be on there, and I w- the episode actually had a com uh, a, a commentary track with uh, Jim Belushi, and he just said I asked him to do it, and he said, "Yeah, I'll do it." And so, does Dan Aykroyd know about your podcast? Because I think that would be good for you to actually be able to have Dan Aykroyd on the Dan Aykroyd podcast. I don't think he knows. I really don't think he cares. <laughs> I have new artwork. Uh, oh, shout out. To uh, Rose Quacker, uh, we did. A, she's a fantastic stand-up. She also is a fantastic artist. Uh, so if you're listening to this podcast and you see the artwork on the podcast, it's Rose Quacker. And look her up on Instagram. Look her up on Facebook. If you ever need any art done, uh, please uh, look at her. But when she first did the artwork, she goes, "I didn't want. I don't want credit for it." In case Dan Aykroyd sees it, I don't want. She goes, I don't want to get sued by Dan Aykroyd, and I go, I don't think it's he's a public figure. Um, but she goes, I worked so long on it, it's like now I don't care if I get sued. So, 
If I was a comedian, a stand-up comedian, I think the name Rose Quacker is great. I would like that. Is that? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I apologize. It's uh, Alicia Quacker. She changed it. Oh, Alicia really? is her real name. Oh. Alicia Quacker. Um, and she went by Rose. I don't know why, but now she is going by Alicia Quacker. So uh, ignore all that Rose stuff. Uh, Alicia Quacker. I'd like to see Dan Aykroyd, I think, pop up in one of these, like, Netflix or Apple TV or, you know, Amazon, some series. I'd like to see him do, like, a limited eight-episode, you know, some show. I don't know what it would be. But it probably have something to do with the supernatural, I'm guessing. Right, right, something. But where he's playing, I'd like, I'd love to see him do something really dark. And I don't know that I've ever seen Dan Aykroyd do anything like really, really dark. Is there something I'm missing? I just, uh, well, we, as I mentioned, uh, nothing but trouble. If you watch that movie, it's a pretty, it's a pretty dark movie. But like Jim Gaffigan, like Jim Gaffigan is really funny and does really funny stand-up. That's fun for a lot of, it's very broad audience stand-up. he's been on a couple of Law and Orders. But he plays like a Creepy person yeah. on Law and Order. And a couple of movies he's done. Really. Well, he's in Troop Zero, which is uh, streaming right now, which a friend of mine, uh, Kenneth Wayne Bradley, is in too. Uh, and he plays kind of a fun character in that. But, you know, he's done a couple of things where it's really kind of dark. And, and, and I don't know what it is. I guess it's that dual side that, that, I guess, that uh, yin and yang of a comedian. Jim Varney, Ernest. Yeah. Hey, he has done, and I, I can't think of it, but he's done a couple. He did a movie for Billy Bob Thornton. Which was a really dark. He's done a couple of dark characters himself, uh, and I and this was when he actually knew he was dying, and I think he wanted to do yeah, he wanted to leave something behind. Not I don't. He wasn't ashamed of Ernest, uh, but he wanted to leave something behind besides Ernest. You know, it's interesting you mention that. You think about characters that somebody is just indelibly identified with. You know, the the Tramp, Cha- Charlie Chaplin. You don't even need to see. The Tramp. If you see a silhouette of that character, you know what that is. You mm-hmm. know it's Charlie Chaplin. Shatner as Captain Kirk. Right. But, you know, like like Ernest, you know, you think that that's the kind of the role that they'll always be associated mm-hmm. with. And Ernest, you know, obviously, I don't know that I would put Ernest in the same category as Charlie Chaplin no. as The Tramp. No, not at all. But uh, it is sort of interesting when you think about that um, because that is that kind of, you know long-standing multi-film mm. character that I know like I know you're a fan of those Ernest yeah. movies and people just even love. the bad ones right. <laughs> right well I'm sure not everything Charlie Chaplin did was great he though. did a movie where he wasn't in it he just directed it was it one of the late ones that he did no it was a silent movie uh, well, he was, he, uh, he did direct, uh, Marlon Brando and, uh, Sophia Loren, um, Countess. Oh, that's one of his last movies. It's one of his last, yes. of Hong Kong. Oh, Countess of Hong Kong. Yeah. And it's not a very good movie. Marlon Brando had a lot of bad stuff to say about Charlie Chaplin. But back, this was after, but this one, he was out of the limelight. At the height of his career, he did a movie that he just directed, he didn't star in, and he got a lot of backlash. It's like, we didn't come to see a Charlie Chaplin movie and not see Charlie Chaplin. Right. Yeah. Right. So it was hard for him to break out of the role of the tramp. And... Right. Yeah, I'd like to see, I think I'd like to see Dan Aykroyd. It'd be fun to see him as like a serial killer, because I think his take on it would be mm-hmm. 
good. Like, I think you'd see this, like, like, I'd love to see him show up on the blacklist or something like mm. that as, you know, some bad guy. I think mm. that would be really interesting. Because I don't know what it is about comedians. Michael Keaton, Bill Murray. Uh, Michael, oh, uh, uh, Pacific Heights, Michael yes. Keaton. Yes, yeah, you know, playing, like, a dark character like that. There's something there. I'm mm-hmm. sure, given the right direction, you, Scott White, mm. headlining stand-up comedian, there probably is this good, deep, dark performance. That I'm sure that, yeah, most there. comics... It's uh, all dramatic. All dramatic actors want to be comedians. All comedians want to be dramatic actors. I don't know why. And all actors want to be directors. Yes, <laughs> except for Harrison Ford. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it. So, do we have anything? Uh, your overall view of Chaplin. So overall, I think it's if you're a film buff, it's definitely you need to see it. If you are looking for an interesting performance from Dak Aykroyd, I think it's worth a watch. It's two and a half hours, so make yourself some popcorn and. Pick it up on your favorite streaming uh, yes. app. Uh, as you said before, it's a very superficial. It kind of reminded me, uh, we both seen the movie Autofocus, the yes. Bob Crane. Yeah. Uh, that was also very superficial. It it This just sort of focuses on his, the main thing is it focuses on Chaplin's love for younger women. And basically, in the autofocus, uh, Bob Crane was a sex addict, so it just focused. It didn't delve into all. Well, okay, I'll throw this out. We have we're we're, we're recording this, and uh, Kobe Bryant has just died, and Kobe Bryant was a very multifaceted man. He had his dark points, and he had his good points, like all. And it seems like in um, in these movies, they don't. They're doing it for sensationalism because the, the people want to see sex sells. People want to see the sex. They're not really concentrating on all the other stuff that they did in their lives. Uh, I would say in this movie, though, they hardly ever touch on it. Only They make almost a romanticized idea about it. So it's not anything like where they're condemning him. Right. Or... At least in the autofocus movie, they were condemning him for being a, a yes. sex addict. For this, the only repercussions come... From the divorces. Yeah. What happens is he has to take care of a baby that's not his. So the only the the only real repercussion, one of the real repercussions, is something that wasn't even his fault. Yeah. That that wasn't even his. So it's yeah, it's a. It's worth. It's definitely. It's definitely worth a watch. See it if you if you if you're a Robert Downey Jr. fan, definitely see it. Yes, yes, Um, for sure. And like I say, if you're any kind of a film buff, you want some good film history. But as we said before, if you're fans of any of the supporting actors, they are not in the movie. (laughs) No, everybody's in short. Short. Yeah. Yes, and uh, they'll they'll disappear from the movie like that. So when you see your favorite star on there, just remember they're not probably not going to be back later in the movie. Right. All right. Anything you want to plug? Uh, no, just check uh, check me out at Comedy Sports Houston, uh, CSEHouston.com. And later on in April, I'll be at the CSE Women's Weekend in Las Vegas, which will feature women comedy sports performers from all over the country performing in Las Vegas. Do we have a Do we have a worldwide CSC website? Uh, CSE Worldwide. Yes. So. Yep. CSE Worldwide. Uh, I am also. Uh, a member of CSC, so check uh, me out on CSC Houston. Also, you can visit my website, scottyblanco.com. It'll have my tour dates for stand-up and improv or anything else I'm doing in between. And if you want to support this podcast, you can go to my Patreon page, patreon.com backslash Scott White. And uh, that's it. Uh, we are done. Uh, so check out Chaplin. 
I want to give thanks again to my good friend, Steph DeWagoner, uh, for helping me out on this one. This was a two and a half hour movie. I didn't think I could handle it alone, so she stepped in and helped me out on this. Thank you for having me. All right, and that's it. And we'll see you next time on the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. For me, and words seem so futile, so feeble, I can only say that thank you for the honor of, of inviting me here, and oh, you're wonderful, sweet people. Thank you.